This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Up first, a feature interview with rock legend Robbie Robertson. And important news for people with heart disease. A new study out of McMaster University will change the way patients are treated after a heart attack. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The survival rate for blood cancer is outpacing the survival of any other form of cancer. The Canadian Cancer Society says overall survival rates have improved to 63%, up 8% since the early 90s. The most gains have been among common blood cancers, including non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, multiple myeloma, and leukemia. Death rates from breast cancer have decreased by nearly half since they peaked in 1986. The bad news? Pancreatic cancer will become the third leading cause of cancer death in Canada this year. Still with health news, deaths from cancer are now more common than those from heart disease in some high- and middle-income countries, including Canada. This study, also from Hamilton's McMaster University, published in The Lancet, is the largest of its kind analyzing causes of death across five continents. The researchers note the change might be due to improved prevention and treatment of heart disease. A woman who was given a lifetime ban from entering the U.S. after she was found with CBD oil at the border has had that ban reversed. The 21-year-old was carrying the oil, which has no psychoactive properties, last month, crossing into the U.S. from B.C. She was initially told she'd have to apply for a special $600 waiver if she wanted any chance to enter the U.S. in the future. But her lawyer says he was contacted by U.S. Customs and Border Patrol and told his client no longer needs to file that application. With TIFF underway in Toronto, new stats show there's still a gender imbalance in movie making and TV, but it's getting better. A new study finds 96% of cinematographer jobs still go to men, but 45% of significant characters on TV are now women, an all-time high. Women make up 31% of creators, directors, and other behind-the-scenes jobs. The study was done by San Diego State Center for the Study of Women in TV and Film. You girls will serve the leaders and their barren wives. You will bear children for them. That's a clip from the TV version of The Handmaid's Tale. Margaret Atwood's long-awaited sequel doesn't go on sale until Tuesday, but it's already ranked among Amazon's 50 bestsellers, while Indigo says it's been one of the year's biggest pre-orders. It's set 15 years after The Handmaid's Tale and is narrated by three female characters. 
And just this week, the 79-year-old author was named among the six finalists for the prestigious Man Booker Prize for her latest novel. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. was a brotherhood until it wasn't. Once We're Brothers, the Canadian documentary that opened this year's TIFF, chronicles the story of one of the most iconic rock bands ever, the band. It tells the story from Robbie Robertson's perspective, and I sat down with the 76-year-old star earlier this week. So you are what we would call the ultimate Zoomer. You're 76, and th- this is just one of the things you have on the go. You have a new album coming out. You're working on another volume of your autobiography, among other things. What do you think of that? How do you, what do you make of that? I, you know, when you're having as much enjoyment in your work as I'm having, you can't help it. So having this new album, which is an incredible collection of all of these projects that I'm working on comes out in this album, the documentary that's opening the Toronto international film festival. That is so extraordinary. And it's the 50th anniversary of the band album. And I've just done this art that I'm sharing for the first time. And other than that, I'm just kicking back. (laughs) Other than that. uh, But what do you think of being so productive? It just comes natural to me. I, I don't. I don't think about it. I just. I'm just following the path. I'm doing what I'm inspired to do, and you know that's it. I get up in the morning and I, and I'm excited about what the challenge of the day is. When you have a film like this, it's 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 an opportunity to see it all kind of arrayed in front of you. What? do you think of your career when you see all of that together in one place? Hmm. I think, you know, when I look at it, just because I was there, I lived it, I did it, all of that, I'm working, I'm, I'm always working. And so I look at it and I look at the work in there and I, and I look to see if we're telling the truth. And it's, that's a bottom line to me and whether it's well done or not to a standard that I try to keep. But do you look and say, gee, I've, it's been fantastic and I'm happy with it, or there are still things that I want to get to? You know, I'm more than anything, I feel grateful. I feel like I was really, really fortunate to be in the place that I was at, the, at a certain time and magic happened, all of those kind of things. But I don't dwell on it because I've written about it. I've talked about it. I've lived it. I've done all of that. Now I have a chore in front of me and I have to deal with that chore. Is there any part of it? You mentioned the band that's a favorite or something you hark back to more than others? Well, I don't, you know, it's it's such a journey. I don't think about it as, you know, uh, oh, that 
that was a favorite. I just look at it like this was an evolution of things happening. It was an ongoing journey. And parts of that journey were in amazing times. Some of it, there's always hills and valleys. And my experience with the band is phenomenal. And the the most amazing bunch of guys and what we went through together, it's a story I would put up against any music group in history. How does what you went through in your early life play into this? I mean, you were, you started at an incredibly young age. Yeah, I did. I started, you know, I started playing professionally as a living as that's really what I do when I was 16 years old. And I was fortunate enough to that uh, Ronnie Hawkins hired me. He knew I was on a mission and he knew that I knew he could be part of that mission. And so that was such an educational process, working with him and learning and going from Canada down to the Mississippi Delta and absorbing that music and becoming part of it and turning that into my songwriting and this ongoing and growing thing. It started very, very young. And it's interesting that I feel that same heartbeat today as I did then. I just, I don't know how to stop. You have a very unusual background. Your mother was Mohawk. And at a certain point, you found out that your biological father was not who you thought he was. Yeah, I I didn't know about this until I was around 12 or 13 years old. And it was shocking to me. And this is in the the documentary when I say that my mother says to me at one point, well, I've got something. I should have probably already told you this, but I've got something to tell you. He's not your father. (laughs) I was like, what? You know, and anyway, it turned out that in this story, you couldn't write it better that it turned out the amazing background that my mother came from of being born and raised in the Six Nation Indian Reserve. And like you said, from the Mohawk Nation, and then her coming to Toronto and meeting up with this guy, this Jewish gambler. He was from the opposite side of the world to her. And they were fascinated with one another, but he got killed in a car accident, and I was raised by Robertson, who was a terrific person on one level, but on another level, he was abusive to my mother and abusive to me. And so when she split from him and I was introduced to this new family, the the Jewish side of my upbringing, it taught me so much. And they brought me in with such open arms And I understood things about myself that had been a complete mystery up to this point. Such as? I understood a thing about my drive. I understood a thing about my creativity. I understood a thing about my interest in show business. All kinds of elements started to perfectly make sense to me. Because of their culture? Yes, because of 
you know, the, the way they saw things because of their traditions, because of their culture. And I, I don't know, it was a joyous um, a discovery for me. Is there any one thing you hope we all take away from the documentary? I hope you take away from this a complete unique story and such an appreciation of what I was able to be involved with with this group, my brothers, this, this brotherhood that we had, which so came out in the music and made it unique in any musical group ever and telling it in this documentary and being able to witness it. I, you know, I took it into a deeper place than I even realized it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was rocker Robbie Robertson. It's been a conundrum for doctors treating patients after a heart attack caused by blocked arteries. Should they try to prevent a second heart attack by putting stents in arteries that are only partially blocked? Or is that too invasive? A study out of McMaster University has answered that question decisively. Dr. Shamir Mehta is the lead author. We've known now for some years that opening up the blockage that caused the large heart attack and opening it up quickly saves lives. And uh, we're now very good at doing that. But in the process of doing that procedure, we find unexpected blockages in about 50% of people that we didn't anticipate. And the question is what to do about them, to leave them alone, or should we open them up to a new risk of uh, putting in additional stents? So what was the theory behind just leaving them, uh, and was there additional treatment? There's some previous studies that have shown no benefit to putting in a stent in chronic uh, narrowings, and that the best treatment is uh, lifestyle modification and medication, and that additional stenting procedure would not carry any benefit. And so in this situation, patients have had a heart attack. And so the question has arisen that in patients who have already sustained a heart attack, is there a benefit of opening up the other narrowings? And doctors are divided. They were divided on this issue. And there would be a lot of debate about how to optimally manage these patients. And practice varied greatly from doctor to doctor and hospital to hospital. What was the downside of of putting in additional stents? We never want to do additional procedures if it's not necessary, and especially when we're talking about the heart, because you're, you're opening up the patient to the risk of a second procedure, uh, you're putting in more metal, uh, and if there's a complication, that would not be good. Uh, and they can include things like uh, the stent blocking up. It could be, and that can cause another heart attack. Uh, it could uh, cause increased bleeding, and the patient would have to be on uh, blood-thinning medication. So we don't take these things lightly. Of course, there's the cost of a second procedure as well. So we do procedures in medicine, especially when it comes to the heart, when we have evidence that it's beneficial, that it prevents major things such as death and, and heart attacks. And sometimes we, we have therapies that make people feel better, uh, but there was no evidence that additional stenting would even make people feel better. So that's why this area was so controversial previously. How did you set up the trial? In order to answer this question, we need large numbers of patients. Uh, We managed to secure funding, fortunately, from the CIHR, which is the Canadian government, and we recruited centres across Canada, the large uh, heart centres, 
But that wasn't enough. Canada's not large enough. So we expanded the trial globally to involve the United States and European centers. And in total, we had 31 countries in the trial, and we had 130 centers. And so heart attack victims in all of those centers, when they came in, were uh, randomized in a random fashion to receive additional stenting to these additional arteries uh, with blockages or just be treated with the medication alone. And then we followed them for three years. And we found a substantial reduction in the chances of dying from a cardiovascular event or having a second heart attack. And that reduction was a 26% relative risk reduction, and it was highly significant. So it was a very clear result. Finally, we have an answer to the question, and we have a clear answer. And it will change treatment. It will make treatment more uniform, that all patients with additional blockages will now be considered for a second procedure. And I think it will have a major impact because of that. The risk of a heart attack is four times higher among somebody, people who've already had a heart attack compared to people who haven't. That's correct. Patients who have already had a heart attack have the disease. They have coronary artery disease. We're able to manage coronary artery disease very well. And so long as they stop smoking and adopt healthy lifestyle uh, habits such as exercise, and they are able to adapt their diet and in some cases lose weight and adhere to the medications that we know are proven, their prognosis in general is very good. But those are hard things to do. And there is a significant number of people that have a second heart attack after their first one. And our study now shows that we can reduce that risk quite substantially by 26% by doing this additional procedure. Thank you so much, Dr. Shamir Mehta. Right, my pleasure. That was Dr. Shamir Mehta of McMaster University. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Paul Thomas, Faz Kazi, and Justin Eacock. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.